You're listening to the Recover Dish Podcast. I'm your host, licensed therapist, Amanda E. White. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm really excited because I have my friend and therapist, Sam Dalton, here to talk all about Britney Spears. The woman in me. The woman in me and all of the mental health themes that came up as we were reading this book. Of which there are many. Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's interesting with Brittany because I know you and I are similar ages. Like we also did kind of grow up with her and then watch her fall. I mean, reading the book was so, so interesting because I really did not understand, I think, how like rural she was and just how isolated she was. It, it put a lot of the pieces together of just how she ended up where she did. Completely. I liked how thorough she was with her background and even went into the background of her parents Yeah, to give a sense of understanding for, well, and, and I think understanding is even a strong word because I'm still baffled by the behavior, yeah. but I think to give nuance to the decisions that they made later on in her life yes. and the way they ended up approaching a lot of things and like the level of abuse that her dad went through we know from a professional and clinical standpoint that dooms you from the get-go, right? Particularly with his alcohol addiction. Yes. And how intense that was and what she talks about, the fallout that was with that and her mom being married to an addict and the chaos that that creates. And she did a good job of explaining the real visceral reaction of being a child with a parent who's an addict. Mm, yes, Absolutely. What were your thoughts on it, especially being someone who's struggled with alcohol addiction? What were your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I think that it it just did such a good job also of just showing how the disease of addiction gets passed down generationally. Yes. It's like, right, trauma and addiction are just intertwined and mm -hmm. they feed off of each other and one creates the next thing. Yeah. It, it was like heart. I mean, I'm sure if anyone's read it, it's hard to read because it's uh -huh. so intense. Especially, I think it was really intensified because sometimes I had to check myself and be like, how old, how many years ago was this? This feels yeah. like it happened like a hundred years ago. And I think it's important to remember just how, you know, addiction has changed a lot in recent years, mm -hmm. our understanding of it. And I also think even just like being in like a rural part of the South, there aren't as many resources as, you know, in other places. Well, and nobody was going to talk about it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's kind of the age old, what happens in your house stays in your house. Just don't let it come outside. Yeah, absolutely. And so I was thinking of as well, when her mom lets her start drinking <laughs> when she's 13, I'm like, yeah. wait, what? Like I had to, I was reading it on like my Kindle app yeah. and I had to like scroll back to be like, did I miss, did I miss an element here? And yeah. no, her mom was letting her drink when she was 13 years old. Yeah which let's not talk about the physical damage that that causes right. Right. to the development of a 13-year-old brain, but then beats the crap out of her because she smokes a cigarette. Yeah. I mean, it is a very common thing in like, I mean, I think it is really interesting when people aren't super familiar with just right. addiction and how it works is that is common. I mean, when I've worked with people with addiction, a lot of times it is like their families who've introduced them or they have they're given like a beer when they're like six years old or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it is this weird thing where I think alcohol can kind of be used as like power in a family mm. of like, you can do this with me, but not 
anywhere else and it's safe with me, but not with other people. And they, there mm-hmm. isn't an understanding of how damaging that is. No. Well, and I think, you know, to quote the amazing philosophical work, Mean Girls, right? <laughs> I'm not a regular mom. I'm a cool mom. Yes. Yes. Right. I'd rather you do it in the house. Right. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> and so I think, too, the importance of addressing this is what she did in that first part of the book yeah. was establish the foundation of what everything else was then built on. Mm-hmm. When she talks about the fear of her dad when she was little and she was in the car and he was talking to himself because clearly he was drunk out of his mind. Yeah. And she's driving when she talks about driving her mom around and her mom was drunk and she's creating the element of fear and lack of emotional maturity in the family, Mm. which throw in millions of dollars and global fame. And it's a recipe for disaster. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think too, there is a lot more coming out about child actors and child stars, all of that, the abuse that happens. I knew that what she'd said about just how abusive her family was, but it really contextualized it when you saw where she was from. Her parents saw her as the way out, as kind of Mm -hmm. this little ticket when parents Mm -hmm. are going through trauma themselves and trying to survive, I think they act differently than if they're in a Mm -hmm. different environment, which is how I think they probably, you know, I think it's how her mom probably rationalized it, that Brittany was going to get out of here. She was going to be a star. Mm -hmm. Money will solve all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And what we see is actually in the, in certain circumstances, money, fame, power can actually just make you ripe to be taken advantage of and abused more. Absolutely. I, Completely agree with you because I think her dad is the perfect demonstration of that old world, old school belief mindset that my kids serve me. Mm. My kids are mine to exploit. In the book, there's the part where she talks about the moment where her dad starts breaking down to her the magnitude of this conservatorship, where he says, I'm Britney Spears now. I mean, that made my stomach Mm. churn. It made my stomach churn to think of what would she have been by that point? Mid twenties. I think so. It's hard to conceptualize the timeline too. I think in this book of just, cause she's so young when she had kids, she was so young when she became a star. It is like everything is 10 to 15 years younger than I would think it is. So yeah, Sam, I'm thinking right of you and your experience working in a hospital. How did that change how you understood and how you read the book? Because I'm not familiar with the whole process of how someone is held against their will. Oh yeah. Reading the book, all I could think about was my past experience in that role. And so what I kept thinking of were in the emergency room when we're able to admit people on what's called a pink sheet or we admit people to a psych facility on a blue sheet. So the level of conversation that we would have around just implementing these sheets is insane. And and let me give you the perspective why. So a pink sheet is police have to, on scene, be working with somebody, talking with somebody, whether they're in a, appear to be in a psychotic episode, they're suicidal, they're homicidal, any of those things. The police officer fills out this form and it essentially says, this person has to be evaluated by a crisis worker and or a physician before they can be released. So it basically is a one-way ticket to the emergency room. Yeah. Nine times out of 10. 
once they're there and they're evaluated, we'll either clear the pink sheet, Mm -hmm. let them go home with some kind of a safety plan, or a blue sheet is filled out, which says this person has to be admitted for psychiatric treatment. Mm. So that would be to inpatient psych. And essentially, it's five to seven days max normally, unless it's extenuating circumstances or they're just really struggling, whatever. But the normal length of stay is going to be anywhere around a week. Yeah. And we would wrestle with this. And there were people that would be like, well, I don't think like that's not appropriate. We're taking away their freedoms. And this is only for a short period of time. Right. We're talking for days. Right. And by the way, we're not taking away all of their decision-making capacity. They just can't leave the hospital for a few days. Correct. Yeah. Pink sheet says they can't leave the emergency room until approved. Blue sheet says you can't leave the psych hospital until approved. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense because when I worked at a rehab, when people were actively suicidal or, you know, homicidal or had threats or things like that, most of the time they were sent back to us. Like we would have to send them for, you know, legal purposes essentially, but it was extremely rare that they stayed. So rare. So rare. And we took it so seriously. And so while I'm reading this book, I'm like, how did they convince a court and how did a court responsibly and cogently make the decision that this woman couldn't even go to the bathroom by her damn self? Yeah. Reading the book, even all the way through the end, I still had so much confusion over how this was allowed to happen for 13 years. 13 years. I don't understand it from a clinical standpoint. And the other thing she touches on as well is she says multiple times through the book, every male artist was able to have a breakdown. You know, she talks about Kevin. She says Kevin was allowed to be smoking weed with his bros and recording songs titled Big Ass in Portuguese. And like nobody batted an eye at him. Same thing with Justin. Justin was able to do whatever he wanted. You know, she talks about like how rock stars get to brag all the time about the insane that they do. I think it's because she's a mother. I mean, she's a woman, but I also think it's because she's a mom. I think it really also shows just the level of standards that are different between moms and dads, right? The difference between you're such a great dad, which I'm sure we've, you know, they're such great memes and things like that compared to you're such a good mom. She was out of her mind with grief, terrified Mm -hmm. of having her kids taken away. I mean, it does, obviously we don't know the details. It sounds like she was threatened or told that she would lose custody of her kids. So she just said yes and did whatever she wanted. And as a new parent, it was physically painful to read about just like them being taken away, not being able to see. And it's so fucked up in the media, how the media was just like, Britney's insane, Britney's crazy, Britney's holding her kid hostage. And again, we don't know. We're speculating. We're taking Britney's word for it. I don't know. I'm sure, you know, there's context missing. But I can completely understand having a mental breakdown, doing crazy things, screaming, crying, trying to keep your child with you at all costs. And everything that you do being questioned and scrutinized and judged and it was overwhelming to me, I I think keeping in with like the mother vein and the double standards that exist for women and men when it comes to parenting, nobody allowed this woman the chance to just be a human. 
nobody was allowing her space to just experience the stress of a divorce and a custody battle and the fact that she was fed to the world on a silver platter at 13 years old. Yeah. Let's not talk about just that overarching trauma in its own way and overwhelm of feeling at 15, 16 years old, you just became the breadwinner for your family and you need to buy them the townhouse in Destin, Florida and, and all of this stuff. And I think the realization that I came to is we have to stop thinking we are entitled to the behind the scenes looks of celebrities' lives. The way the paparazzi swarmed her was because they knew we wanted to know. Yeah. They knew we would still look at the pictures. We would still buy the magazines. We would still read the articles that were, you know, an eighth of the truth of the situation going on. Part of it is we turned her into a commodity. Yeah. I think she was a commodity. I think Mm -hmm. that is what's so gross about fame on such a like basic level is it is so dehumanizing Mm-hmm. especially the way that oh like pop stars are manufactured of right like all of yes. the the insight she gave of how it's like men talking about a 14 15 year old girl like <gasps> trying to you know decide how to make her and and what song she's going to do and obviously like she did make more decisions it sounds like than we thought which was cool to see but the way that pop stars are literally manufactured or even yes. child stars, right, are literally manufactured is so gross. It, it really makes me understand why, like, Taylor Swift is so obsessive about ownership of her music and trying yes. to be involved in everything. And even, like, Olivia Rodrigo, I think mm-hmm. I've talked about how she was able to escape some of this Disney cliff that sort of happens. It was because she was intelligent enough I think, to be able to pick a record company that gave her a lot of power and control over Mm -hmm. her music because Mm -hmm. I think it really goes to show you when you aren't in control of these things and you're very young and you are that, right? Like her dad was Britney Spears. All these other people, when she was 14, they were like essentially Britney Spears. They came up with the look, the song. They had so much power and control over her. Well, and even taking it a step further for that, it's manufactured pop star for the male gaze yeah it's manufactured pop star for the male gaze that's why at 15 years old she's standing in front of a line of male record executives and they're eyeing her up and down and figuring out what would i like yeah what do i want to see what sells and then what does everybody else do set her up for failure outside and have the governor's wife say i want to shoot her because my husband's looking at her She's a child that was shoved into sexualization from mid-teens, and then we all blamed her for that. It is like this late 90s, 2000 mm-hmm. microcosm. I mean, thank God it, it exists in different ways now, but I feel like it was a really unique piece of history. Yeah. That, like, I, I hope this couldn't happen again. I think she was so young and had so many people involved. I think she was such a people pleaser, it sounds like, that she just wanted to do what people said and she wanted to work hard for them, that that is how she kind of just lost total control is that eventually she kind of hit a a breaking point. Obviously, I'm simplifying that, but I keep comparing her to other people who didn't, you know, have the same fate or had more control. 
And I think it's because they had parents, honestly, who were like, no, either I'm going to protect my Mm -hmm. child or Mm -hmm. they were like, my child knows what they're doing. They're old enough. Maybe me and my child are going to make these decisions about their career versus her parents sending her to New York alone with like a chaperone, which is like the epitome of dehumanization. Honestly, of the word that keeps coming to my mind, she was like a pig that they were just like fattening her up for sale. No, that's, there is, I think on the surface, there's a simplification seeming of it, but also it's the only lens. Like, I think it's also just what it is. Yeah. And I think what you said in regards to, you know, her, they're kind of being this naivete and this kind of doe-eyed view of the world. I mean, she was from small town, middle of nowhere, Louisiana. She gets dropped in New York Then she gets dropped in L.A. with no guidance. She seems to figure it out okay, incredibly successful, seems to have some regrets about how things are done through that stage. Then she's desperate for love. She's desperate for acceptance. She's desperate for someone that sees her as a person. Like when she talks about how like Kevin held me, no one had ever held me like that before. That's so powerful and raw and devastating and of course him being a young dude he took advantage of that too and i'm sure back in his day he saw her as a meal ticket in his own way absolutely for everybody in her life she was a means to an end yeah i think the phrase too about how people freeze in time with the age Mm -hmm. that they were right like discovered or they became famous i think it's this really gross phenomenon too of she was extremely young she was We'll keep using the word naive in terms of she just she grew up in a rural area, like we were saying. And then she had no parents around her to Mm -hmm. really guide her or support her. It doesn't sound like there was anyone there asking her, like, what do you want to do? Everyone was just manipulating her behind the scenes, trying to get her to work as much as possible, do as much as press and tour and everything so they could make as much money. And she also was like super traumatized by her childhood. So there's Mm -hmm. just no possible way to navigate that and it's sad through the book because she kind of says I'm just not smart and we all say that she's dumb and this is what happened to her and it's just like no this is trauma this is Mm -hmm. lack of parenting this is lack of support this is everyone manipulating her behind the scenes Mm -hmm. this is extreme fame if you put a 15 year old kid in New York City they're gonna run around and make that decision right with the frame of doing everything they can to get out of their traumatic childhood and hometown that they don't want to be in anymore and seeing performing as a means to an end. And that's the only time they feel normal. There is a naivete there, even in the way she wrote some things, explained some things. And again, this is not, don't come at me in my DMs. This is not a judgment. I think I've seen this in clients as well. There's a very unique way childlike way almost that they interpret the world and see the world and it just breaks my heart for her it does the whole book just is tragic I'm glad we talked about that because throughout this whole episode I think it is hard because we keep using the word naive Mm -hmm. and we don't mean it in a bad way no Mm -hmm. but there is something that happens when you're in a bubble or when you go through trauma too we know this it does impact your memory it impacts your sense of self You kind of become frozen in time sometimes at Mm -hmm. the age that you went through the trauma because your brain Mm -hmm. 
kind of shuts down to protect you. Mm -hmm. You said it all really well because we are not coming at her saying like, oh, you should have dealt with this better. Right. The point that we're getting to with all of this is from day one, she was given zero skills to be able to engage healthily with life, to engage in a way where she could create a life that was uniquely hers, that was taken from her by her parents, by her handlers, by the music industry, by the puppet, like all of that was taken from her. Yes. And I think even if we zoom out a little more, when we look at generational trauma and how Mm -hmm. trauma is passed down, right? We talked about when people are traumatized, they often can't mature in the same way. Your brain literally changes when you're traumatized. And then you reenact the same trauma often or are impacted in some way. So her mom, her dad, right? They didn't have the skills or the tools because they went through trauma to be able to teach someone how Mm -hmm. to navigate the world, Mm -hmm. let alone there is just a totally different level of that most people cannot navigate being world famous very well because it's extremely unnatural. It's extremely difficult. And our brain is not built. We have not evolved yet as a species for global fame. We're kind of figuring it out. The problem is there were a bunch of sacrificial lambs that had to be paraded through, i.e. Britney Spears. In terms of you know, figuring out like, what the hell does global fame do to a person when you could show your picture in any country and have people point to you and know you? Yeah, that is such a wild concept. Like, you know, the the things that we expected from women, the double standards, the insanity of the entire process, and then you throw in Brittany as a child. And it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. And I think for the listener, what the listener needs to hear from us is this is therapists explaining yeah. very in-depth empathy. Yeah. <laughs> like, we are like getting in the weeds. Yes. But in this type of a situation, you have to, when you are talking about this magnitude of exploitation, it's overwhelming to try to comprehend. And of course, she's feeling like she's not smart and the world is feeling overwhelming to her now because she was completely hidden from it for 13 years. She wasn't allowed to be an adult for 13 years. Just she traveled around the world, but was always in a bubble, always had people around her, and never has really been independent. No. Mm-mm. And so the foil that I kept thinking of, and our listeners are going to be like, here it goes, was really Taylor Swift in the vein of... Find me a time where Andrea Swift hasn't been glued to her side, protecting her, advocating for her, defending her, protecting her art, right? Doing everything that they could to understand what was going on in her world and how to keep her safe through all of this and keep her sane. I mean, you can't get more polar opposite than when you look at the two situations. Yeah. And I think of the privilege too, of just- A stable upbringing. Yes. She had a stable upbringing. Her parents had money. Scott Swift literally invested in big machine. They were around. They did research to know what was, what made sense and what didn't. And they, yeah, they created a lot of independence in her, but they also protected her from a lot. And she, as a result, had an active part in creating all of her art. She was Mm -hmm. not manufactured by someone because- her parents created that environment for her. Absolutely. And it just breaks my heart for Britney because I truly believe she is so incredibly talented. I mean, the Blackout album, like it is such a banger. Like, I don't don't know if the cool kids are saying that word anymore, but (laughs) I am saying it. Yeah. It's so good. And to think that was the 
work she was coming out with when she was in the middle of an absolute shitstorm. Yeah. And so for her to now be saying, it's not on my mind anymore. Like performing and making music is not on my mind anymore. It's devastating to me because I'm like, this is the natural consequence. They killed it in her. They killed it in her, this desire to want to share that with us. Yeah. I mean, when you're forced to work like that, when you're forced to make music, I mean, who knows what will happen in the future, but it absolutely, yeah, it kills it for sure. And I completely understand why she doesn't want to do anything. No, we should expect nothing of this woman for the rest of her life. Yeah. I think that when you don't have stable parents growing up and then you have children to fill that love, it is hard mm-hmm. to be clear-headed as a parent because yes. parenting is so freaking difficult. And it just is so sad how you, just like alcohol, just like trauma, the cycle just continues and it, it's devastating. Absolutely. And I think, you know, in in speaking to that vein of generational trauma, her boys are absolutely impacted by this. We don't know. We are not entitled to that information in any way, shape or form. That is their life. That is their thing to work through. But this is what generational trauma is, right? It started with June Spears being a monster of a father to his son, creating that psychological damage. That emotional immaturity, then that gets passed to Brittany. You know, Jamie then passes it to her because he's using alcohol to cope with the immense trauma he went through as a little boy. So that clouds everything that he does. Then Brittany is now trying to figure out how to navigate life on her own, being given no real structure, no foundation to operate from. It's just evacuate Louisiana at all costs. And then you get her life as a response to that. And then her boys now carry that. And that's, I think that's what people forget about generational trauma Mm -hmm. is that's how it's passed. Yeah. It's not that it's like, well, what does it matter that June did such and such, whatever? And it's like, well, no, it's the ripple effect of how everybody interpreted that behavior down the line. You hear these stories and it's like this poor girl didn't stand a chance. Yeah. And I think it's important to point out for people, too, that it isn't always this intense and it still can be trauma. Yes. Passed on. In the most simplistic way, I think you could say a lot of boomers were raised by people who physically abused them, which is what Mm -hmm. spanking is. And then they created a lot of times millennials who maybe your parents were mean to you, but they didn't hit you. And they were like, you should be lucky. I never spanked you. I never hit you. You know, my dad hit me with a belt. So Mm -hmm. I was a great parent. Mm -hmm. And then that impacts us. And now we're trying to break the cycle and do something different. And I think that that can cause maybe some helicopter parenting or some like, Mm -hmm. I need to save my child from every sort of situation. It's not always just a direct mimic. It can Mm -hmm. also shape shift and change Mm -hmm. and move through generations. So it's harder to spot. Mm -hmm. It's overwhelming. If you think about it, it's overwhelming. And this poor girl just loved to sing, had a talent, loved to be a performer and she was manipulated and exploited every step of the way. And I really have a lot of compassion too for, you know, I think there were comments before of she was dumb to like allow the conservatorship to happen. And I was just so struck with, she just loved her kids so much. And she was such a people pleaser. She was like, you do anything for your kids. It's so logical to me to be like, okay, well, they said I was doing this or that. I need to just be good. I need to just go to rehab like they say I can. So then I can just be reunited 
with my kids and I'll do whatever. And it wasn't until she played by their rules for a long time and still wasn't getting to really spend a lot of time with her kids that I think she realized that it was a trick, essentially. Absolutely. And and it was all motivated by if I'm good, they'll reward me. Yeah. I guess I've been behaving wildly. So if I behave, they'll let me be a mom. And it was that black and white thought process. Mm -hmm. And also, I think along that same vein of, you know, people coming at her for, you know, well, why didn't she just, okay, you have your parents (laughs) who your baseline terrified of sit down in front of Mm. you and say, I filed these court papers. You have no say. I'm assigning your attorney. I'm you now. Yeah. You tell me how well you would figure out how to navigate that. And I think that's, it's a masterclass in empathy to be able to say, I have no idea what was going through this poor woman's mind when this happened to her and she survived it the best way she knows how. And the fact that she didn't remove Mm -hmm. herself from this earth is a miracle in and of itself. The level of mental strength it took for her to keep showing up and keep fighting through is, um, I think, something that needs to be honored for a Mm. moment the level of strength that she had to have to survive this is Mm. truly remarkable yeah I think that's a really really important point because yeah I think I mean especially when I was reading about you know some of the like the solitary confinement and some of that stuff that she went through it's just it's I mean like that is a form of torture literally it is to say that you didn't see people for two months it's overwhelming and I think what makes it even more overwhelming for you and I is having the therapeutic perspective mm-hmm. and my question is who were these therapists? I who who it's were true. they like I want to like I'll never know yeah and that's fine I have to live with that but <laughs> I know I just kept thinking to myself as I was reading this and thinking of the physicians and all of the licensed professionals she would have had to interact with and I was like what like truly to have an assessment where I would be convinced that someone is not able to make decisions for themselves, the threshold that they would have to meet is so rare and so unique. It overwhelms me that so many people just, oh yeah, you're not there yet. You're taking supplements. And I think there's a reason we keep using the words heartbreaking and devastating because that's what the story is. And I think even just like woman to woman, it's a nightmare to to see that that level of control can still exist. Level of unjustified control that is very patriarchal in nature. Yes. And it's unsettling. Yes. Yes. And then you factor in just how young she was and it's it's even crazier. I hope that this also just normalizes some trauma. I, I yes. hope that this changes how conservatorships are understood or yes. changes how we how we treat people in the media, famous people. Mm-hmm. What are what are your hopes for what this does? I think ditto on everything you just said. And also I hope it shows the importance of telling our truth. Hmm. And right behind that believing people when they say their truth. Yeah. Believe first, ask questions later. That's a skill that I think sometimes we've we've lost. Even yeah. in vain of things like the Me Too movement and all of that. There's still like a but yeah. was it that bad? You know? And it's like, no, this was this was her truth. And I think it's important that we hold space for that and listen to it. Yeah. Leading from empathy. I think the world needs empathy. Yes. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Sam. Yeah. Thank you everyone for listening. And 
If you have a question or you want to call in, I'd love to answer your questions. You can call me at 813-444-8683. I'll drop that in the show notes. And also you can check out bonus episodes on Patreon. And I will chat with you next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. To suggest an episode topic or support my work, visit amandaewhite.com. If you're interested in getting therapy for my practice, visit therapyforwomencenter.com. We're based in Philadelphia, but we have therapists serving 27 states across the country. 